Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. This is Lana Tantrava. Welcome to the fourth teleseminar of the module of the Qigong practitioner, uh, Qigong coach certification program dedicated to understanding how to find your ideal clients. Previous teleseminars, we explored how we can identify who the ideal clients might be and also developing a certain sense of uh, uh, methodology of how to structure the initial uh, coaching session that uh, could be offered to the ideal clients at no charge. You also have gone through a number of uh, explorations of who your tribe might be. And the tribe is obviously uh, a group of people who are your ideal clients or some percentage of this tribe may be your ideal client. So today we are going to delve deeper into the process of finding your ideal clients. Because if you know who they are, but you don't know where they are, you may never be able to connect to them. What we'll also do today is develop a clear understanding of what they need, what problems they have, and what they want. And so that will allow you to offer certain solutions to the problems that the people in your tribe may have, and also offer these solutions in such a way that they would be a real no-nonsense way for you to make your offer so that it would be irresistible to the people in your tribe. There is a a number of different ways that we can go about uh, identifying places where your tribe members may congregate. Obviously, they may congregate in physical locations. For example, if you recognize that uh, the members of your tribe are uh, gym goers, well, then it will be an obvious place for you to look for your ideal clients, the gyms. You may also recognize that they're not, uh, uh, the gyms are not all the same. There is a variety of different types of gyms and health clubs. There are some uh, big, uh, really large health clubs that have thousands of people membership, and they may offer dozens if not hundreds of different classes, and they have huge spaces filled with exercise equipment 
and they have swimming pools and they have uh, racquetball courts and all kinds of other things. On the other hand, there are also private gyms that are a lot smaller, that are operated by just one or two personal trainers who kind of branched out on their own. They didn't want to work for a gym. They decided to work for themselves. They often cater to a, a smaller group of people who often have to pay a little bit more or sometimes quite a bit more for their individual attention. But that also means that this type of clientele is usually more affluent. They're more focused on getting exactly what they want. And also, they may have certain specific challenges that kind of brings them together. For example, there are certain uh, gyms, privately owned gyms, that specialize on working with people uh, with uh, particular health conditions or a particular age or gender. For example, uh, there are health clubs specifically for women or there are health clubs uh, for 50 years of, of age plus. Or, for example, there are health clubs, at least initially, let's say YMCA, was specifically designed for Christians or young Christians. Now, there are plenty of people who may not be Christians attending YMCA at this point, but uh, at least in my understanding, it was the original intention. And there are still health clubs associated with particular denominations or, for example, Jewish community centers. Obviously, the people who go to the community centers and the health clubs often attached to those centers are Jewish. So if your ideal client is of Jewish descent or, or Jewish denomination, well, then you know that this is probably where you're going to be able to find them. If it's not the gym goer that is your ideal client, for example, it may be a person who is particularly concerned about eating healthy foods, well, then perhaps the health food stores where you can find this type of people easiest. Perhaps they're shopping there. Perhaps they're also uh, doing uh, some research. Often health food stores have uh, books and magazines dedicated to healthy lifestyles that you can buy there. Often they also have a cafeteria or a, a small restaurant attached to, or a deli perhaps, attached to the health club, uh, sorry, to the uh, health food store. So you may be able to find quite a few of your ideal clients. For example, eating dinner or eating lunch at those locations. Some of those locations have bulletin boards. Some of those locations also offer classes. As a matter of fact, I used to teach a class at a health food store. Uh, that's no longer in existence, but uh, at that time when it was around, I took advantage of uh, the exactly that category of people who would go to that location, to that food store. And uh, they were relatively affluent, and they were seriously interested in improving their health 
through some other means, perhaps not only by eating healthy food, but also by practicing Qigong. There may be various other uh, areas or particular spots where the members of your tribe may be found, and they're not always physical locations. There may also be a virtual locations. For example, they may be online forums or certain websites and blogs that attract people who are interested in specific topic. So, for example, if the blog is dedicated to the topic, let's say martial arts, and maybe not just martial arts in general, but let's say a specific style of martial arts, for instance, Aikido. Well, I happen to know a number of Aikido practitioners who visit this type of blogs. And I also know that there are bloggers who basically do this full-time. They professionally operate this blog, or one of them, for example, started a magazine, an online magazine. And uh, he also organized not only uh, an online production of his news, but also uh, organized live events. So I actually met him at an IKEA Expo in Los Angeles a few years back. And what I noticed is that obviously people who are seriously interested in Aikido were quite excited to go and visit his website and read blogs or his articles, subscribe to his magazine. That obviously was an excellent place to find Aikido practitioners, both students as well as teachers. If you consider uh, that this is the type of a virtual location where you can find uh, your ideal clients. If your tribe has tendency to congregate around this virtual watering hall, as it were, what can you do about that? Well, first of all, visit that website on a regular basis. Check out what kind of articles are being posted there or what kind of uh, discussions are being uh, discussed uh, on the online forums. And this is uh, something that will give you not only an insight into what is going on on that particular uh, website or forum, this will also give you an opportunity to get involved. For example, you can answer some questions that people post on a forum. Uh, if you have some expertise in the subject matter, it would only be natural for you to answer a few questions if you can help people in your tribe to find answers to whatever questions bother them. There may be also some posts that you would want to post on your own. If the blog allows you guests to post articles, that's a relatively easy thing to do. Uh, if the blog the moderator, for example, would need first to receive your submission, read it, and then approve it. Well, that's easy to arrange too. You can simply contact the moderator of the blog or the publisher of an online magazine and ask them, how can I submit an article? Or maybe even start writing a regular column. 
I used to publish magazines. I still consider myself the publisher of a magazine called Mastery Magazine. And as a publisher of it, I was always looking for great contributions. So I would be happy that some contributor volunteered to submit articles on the subject that is related to the topic of my magazine. What will that do for you? Well, you may spend some time writing an article or two, but then you create massive goodwill by sharing what you have to share in your article with the readers of the blog. You may also, and that's the most important thing, invite people to get more information from you by either posting your email address at the end of the blog article. There's usually a brief, maybe one or two paragraph bio that the author of a blog article or a magazine article is allowed to post. In the bio, there's usually a way to contact them. It can be a phone number, it can be an email address. Nowadays, it's preferred to give the website address. Why? Because most people who have some clout in a particular field have websites. I actually don't know a lot of any experts in any field nowadays who have no website. It may be a very simple website, and we'll talk about it in our next teleseminar about the technology and how to create a simple but elegant website for yourself. But the idea is that you provide either a website address or email address at the end of your blog article or magazine article so that people can contact you for more information or to ask you questions or to subscribe to your newsletter, whatever you can offer to them. You obviously would need to be able to offer something that would entice them to come and ask for more. So you would need to think through what it is that you would be offering. If you offer something that is particularly pertinent to the members of that group or the readership of that blog, well, it's much more likely that they will be interested in taking up on that offer. So obviously if this is a blog dedicated to scuba diving, you don't want to put information or write article about downhill skiing. <laughs> However, if it's a scuba diving blog and you write about your particular technology or methodology or uh, something related to perhaps underwater photography or uh, share about a particular location where you went diving, then this will entice interest. And piquing the interest through the article, obviously is not going to satisfy that interest. So the article is not designed to completely satisfy the curiosity of the readers. The article is supposed to pique their curiosity, to give them a taste of your style, of your approach, perhaps give them an insight in your way of delivering your information or knowledge. 
But then you're invited to go to your website or email you your email address to request more information. This is something that uh, works exceptionally well, not only with blogs and uh, e-zines, online magazines. It also works great in social media. By social media, obviously, I mean uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+, and similar websites that are designed in a way that allow a number of people to create profiles and also participate in online groups. You can find these groups also on Yahoo. There are also uh, uh, groups, um, for example, on Ning.com. There is a a number of other uh, social networking sites that are less popular, less well-known than Facebook or LinkedIn or Google+. But these are the main three. Obviously, Twitter is also a form of a social website, although there are no groups on Twitter, as far as I know. On Facebook, anyone can create a group, and most people can join public groups. Of Of course, there are also private groups on Facebook. So you can't join those unless you've been invited. And you may receive an invitation to the group if you're particularly interested in it and you ask for an invitation. But before we go there, let's say that you can find virtually unlimited number or at least a huge number of groups on almost any topic. And some of these groups are really small, just a few dozen people, maybe a few hundred people. Some of these groups are huge, thousands upon thousands of people. And it's not always great to join huge groups because your message will be drowned out because if just a small percentage of the members of the group are actually active and they post something, Well, with several thousand members, that group will have dozens of posts every day. How do I know? I actually created one of the most popular groups on Facebook dedicated to Qigong. It's called Qigong Network. If you're not a member of this group, please feel free to join it. It has probably 3,500 members, maybe even close to 4,000 members now. There may be some other members, there may be some other Qigong groups or Qigong-related groups that have larger membership, but not many, maybe one. (laughs) And uh, what I did was not just created the group. I also posted content. Uh, I posted articles, I posted just brief one paragraph posts. Sometimes I would post a photo. Sometimes I would post a video. And to have an online talk show. I also quite regularly post announcements about the new episode of my talk show on this and many other groups. And this allows me 
to stay basically uh, at the at the helm of the group. I know exactly what's going on. I moderate the group. If somebody misbehaves, for example, they start uh, being nasty towards other members of the group for whatever reason, I can kick them out of the group. And if people start spamming the group, for example, a while ago somebody started posting a bunch of photographs of a, a coach uh, handbag and uh, some fancy Oakley sunglasses. Well, that has nothing to do, or at least very little to do, with uh, the subject of Qigong uh, Network. So what I did, I just simply removed uh, the spamming uh, number from the group. This is something that you don't want to happen to you. So obviously you don't want to spam groups with unrelated topics. So for example, if you join crocheting group and you start posting articles about Qigong coaching, it may not go well because crocheting has very little to do with Qigong. There may be some tangential connections, but you probably will get kicked out of that group very quickly. If you post similar articles about Qigong on the a group dedicated to something, for instance, like meditation. That's going to be taken probably with a little bit of grain of salt, but it's going to be much likelier that your posts will be accepted and read by the members of the group. You can actually see how many people read your post. Uh, usually within 24 hours or so, that number becomes available underneath your post or somewhere in the body. Right beneath, for example, the video, you can see how many times this video was watched. Or if it's a photograph, you can see how many times this photograph was seen by the members of the group. This is something that gives you not only the ability to post something, but also the ability to track the statistics how many people actually are paying attention to what you're posting there. Even if there are thousands of people who are members of the group, but they're not active, they don't really check what's going going on in that group, you may find that it doesn't make sense to spend time and energy posting on that group because nobody cares. On the other hand, a relatively small group, maybe less than 1,000 people, can be very active. I've seen groups that have just a couple hundred people, but they are very active. As a matter of fact, I became eventually a moderator of a group called Tai Chi Network on Facebook. And it was a relatively small group, literally just a couple hundred people, but it was active. And the moderator who started the group decided that he didn't care to spend time moderating it. So I just volunteered to take it over. It doesn't take much time for me to moderate that group, and it doesn't really get spammed by Oakley uh, advertising. (laughs) So what it does, it just provides me another group. Free of charge, I get access to a number of people who are into Tai Chi. And Tai Chi and Qigong really are sister arts. They go hand in hand very much so. And I pioneered not only the art of 
Qigong coaching, I also pioneered the whole profession of Tai Chi coaching. And so, obviously, I was excited when this opportunity came uh, my way to moderate the Tai Chi network. I also created Qigong network groups on LinkedIn and uh, Google+, which also are some of the largest groups on social networks dedicated to Qigong, as far as I know. I think LinkedIn group is probably the largest on LinkedIn in the world dedicated to Qigong. And what happens is people join the group, and then they start sharing whatever they have to share with the members of the group, the fellow Qigong enthusiasts. Some people don't really listen much. They just post. Obviously, it's important to listen because if you just post, it's almost like you you don't participate in a conversation making it a two-way street. You just shout. You just close your ears and yammer away. Now, nobody wants to be in a conversation with a person who does that. People like to be heard. And you need to know what people are interested in in order to be able to converse with them in an intelligent and mindful manner. And that's something that obviously is a great thing to do when you participate in this type of social networking groups. So if you join either Qigong Network on LinkedIn or on Google Plus or both, you may see that there are quite a few well-known or at least moderately known masters and -and up-and-coming masters. And some of them post relatively regularly information about their upcoming events or books that they wrote or services that they offer. Well, nobody is going to stop you from posting information about your services, especially since I'm the moderator of all of these groups. So I will be happy to let you post your information about your Qigong coaching services and also perhaps help you figure out how to listen to what people want because it's essential to offer people that which they resonate with, and they will resonate with something that helps them solve their problems. So if you have been already involved in any of the networking groups I just mentioned about, you know that from time to time, I post a little survey or do a poll among the members of the group. Recently, for instance, I did a a poll uh, of uh, a Facebook group, Qigong Network, that was simply asking about the length of time that the the member of the group has been practicing energy arts. And, of course, not everybody involved in the group answered the poll, but there have been probably close to 100 people who did. In the past, I've done the similar surveys, and of course, again, there was a certain percentage of people who answered the surveys. I also offered something for completing the survey, 
I didn't do it with Paul because it was just one question, Paul, no big deal. It took maybe five seconds or ten seconds to finish. For the survey, which contained a dozen questions or ten questions, that took a little bit more time. And as a token of my appreciation for people taking their time to fill my survey, I offered them, for example, uh, a complimentary copy of my meditation CD. So once in a while, I offer something uh, like that. If you don't have a meditation CD or an e-book or other materials like that to offer, talk to me. I will be happy to help you out, at least in the beginning as you get the ball rolling developing your own materials. I'll be happy to help you out by offering some of the complimentary materials that uh, I would uh, provide for people answering your surveys. Basically, I will continue mentoring you even when you complete and graduate from our program because I feel that this is my responsibility to continue helping you succeed as a Qigong coach. And this is something that I also encourage you to do for yourself. So when you get around to it, I would definitely recommend writing a book or at least compiling series of articles into an ebook. Obviously, ebook is something that is a lot easier to publish. So in the next teleseminar, I will talk not only about developing the website, but also how to get published or how to get an ebook at least published. And that's something that is crucial because you become an author, which almost automatically adds a substantial weight to your name, a weight to your claim to fame, so to speak. And when you introduce yourself to people or when you give them your business card or when people visit your website, they find out that you are not just such and such, a person with a name. You're also a person who is the author of a book. Even if it is an e-book, it's certainly better than nothing. And as an author of an e-book, you will be able to offer this e-book or part of it, maybe just the first chapter or two, uh, or several chapters, as a, a bonus for people filling out your surveys. Why would you want to do that? Because people who fill the surveys obviously already have something in, can, in common with you. They've connected with you. They've felt like the answer, the questions that you asked required answers from them. They felt like you asked the questions that they compelled to answer. And also, perhaps they may be just excited to get that bonus material in their hand for free. Either way, you want to know who these people are. So when you post a survey on a social networking site, you want to know who those people are. And ideally, you would collect their name and email address. And guess what? You can create surveys absolutely for free. 
using a website, for example, called SurveyMonkey. That's right. Monkeys actually <laughs> do surveys. That's a, a website called SurveyMonkey.com where you can create a free account. It will allow you to create shorter surveys, I think up to 10 questions. But guess what? You don't need more questions than that in your surveys. Ideally, your survey would be between 5 and 10 questions long. And one of these questions must be the name and email address of uh, the recipient or, or the, the person who is answering the survey. Why? Because you want to know who they are. And also, you want to tell them that this is how they will receive the ebook from you or whatever material you will provide to them, whether it's your material or mine. Or you may take somebody else's material as long as you have their permission. You can arrange it with somebody else to offer their material as a bonus. Either way, when you connect with a person who answered your survey, you want to know their name, you want to know their email address, and then you will be able to send this ebook, for example, as an attachment by email. Or if you develop a little bit more tech savvy, then you will be able to have an autoresponder. So the autoresponder will send the bonus automatically as soon as the person enters the name and email address. Uh, we'll talk about this technology in our next OS seminar as well. What happens when a person receives your uh, free material, the bonus material? Well, that also builds a sense of goodwill. So we talk about how important it is to build the sense of goodwill among the members of your tribe, whether it is by posting some pertinent articles or posts on uh, online forums or social networking groups or offering uh, e-books or other materials like that uh, as bonuses. And there is another really excellent form, or actually two very closely related forms of uh, bonus materials that you can create and offer virtually on the fly. They're called teleseminars and webinars. That's right. Teleseminar, which is exactly what you're listening to right now, is one of these two forms of uh, an online material or digital material that you can create really on the fly. For example, I did not pre-record this teleseminar. I delivered in real time and if you are on the line right now, this is when I am speaking. If you're listening to this teleseminar in, in, in a recorded form, obviously uh, then you were listening to the recording, but it still was created at the time when they offered the teleseminar. And the same applies to webinars, which basically is very similar to teleseminar, except in addition to the audio, it also offers video. So you can be in front of a uh, webcam 
which most computers have nowadays. And you can be talking in front of the webcam and people will be able to watch you and listen to your presentation. You may also include things into your presentations such as you can insert a video clip, for example, demonstrating something that you want to present in your webinar. You may also include a PowerPoint presentation. Some webinars don't even have the webcam portion. So people can't even see you as you're delivering your webinar. They only see your PowerPoint presentation. That certainly is an option. I think it's better to have the, the face recognition, be able to put the face uh, together with a name, so to speak. It's also great to have an ability to convey your message not only through words, but also through body language, especially if this message has something to do with such arts as Tai Chi or Qigong, which often include movements or postural alignments, or breathing, or meditation practices. So all of these often are easier to demonstrate through uh, just an instant video broadcasting, which most webinars consist of. But if you want to deliver certain words or certain images, you can compose a PowerPoint presentation and then just narrate the slides as you are going through that presentation. Some webinars don't even include PowerPoint presentations. For example, uh, if you have a website, especially if it is a, a large and interactive website like mine, uh, on my website I have probably close to 200 pages. So I could go through just a fraction of my website in one webinar and already cover quite a bit of ground. Not all of those pages are available to the general public. So if I uh, do a webinar, I can uh, basically share what's on my screen. And I can just go through some of the pages of my website that may or may not be available to the general public. So even when people go to my website, they may not see some of the content that I would be showing in the webinar. And some of this content may also have uh, some a particular information about the subject matter. For example, there may be some articles on my website on the topic of the webinar. There may be a video, and I can play the video right there. I can also have, for example, a page with, a, let's say, a survey. And in the middle of my webinar, I can invite the participants to fill the survey and say, well, and please fill the survey. This is going to be, for example, uh, also it will serve as a, an intake form for your coaching program. Or it can be an application uh, for enrollment in my coaching group coaching program, for instance. So this is something that I'm doing right now with a mastermind group. Qigong Mastermind Group that I'm organizing, bringing together some of the top experts in Qigong and also some up-and-coming Qigong masters and, and Qigong experts. And I don't allow people to just join 
the mastermind group uh, willy-nilly. What they have to do is they have to go through a couple of steps. One of them is filling an application, which is just another survey also created with a survey monkey. And another one is the step that includes me speaking to that person on the phone or face-to-face. So I want to interview them, essentially, before I would accept them in my mastermind group. Out of several dozen people who apply, I will only accept 10 or maybe 12 maximum. What that means is that there's going to be some people who will be accepted and people who will not be accepted. How do I choose who to accept and who not to accept? Well, just like job interviews. I basically will interview them to find out who they are, what they have to offer to the group, and see whether or not what the group has to offer is the right thing for them. And you don't have to organize mastermind groups as yet, but you may consider doing that in the future, especially as you develop your own clout or build your clout, so to speak, build your um, uh, your uh, uh, level of presence in the community, in your tribe, you may be well-suited or well-positioned to organize mastermind groups or a similar type of events. And that is an excellent way to connect not only with the rank-and-file members of the tribe, but also with the leaders, thought leaders, teachers, instructors, gurus, who already are teaching what you offer. But as you know, Qigong teaching is not the same thing as Qigong coaching. And it applies to a variety of other professions beyond Qigong. Obviously, for example, Tai Chi teaching is not the same as Tai Chi coaching. The difference is very similar to the difference between Qigong teaching and Qigong coaching. So what we do is we uh, identify which particular niche would serve the best role of your tribe. You know that it's much easier to connect with people if you have uh, focused attention provided to these people. You focus your attention on them and you listen to what they are interested in. And you notice certain patterns. If you, for example, spend several weeks or a month or more observing the dynamics of what's going on on an online forum or in one of those uh, social networking groups, you will notice that there are certain themes that come up People come up with questions. It seems like LinkedIn group called Qigong Network is a place where people post questions much more often than, for example, uh, Google Plus or Facebook groups. I don't know exactly why. Maybe LinkedIn attracts more professional uh, audience, more professional crowd, and somehow they feel more compelled to post questions. At any rate, maybe that's their way to figure out who is interested in what in a group. And you may 
adopt similar type of methodology too. You may want to post questions. If nothing else, you can ask people in the group what troubles you the most when you practice, for example, Qigong. What are the greatest problems that you experience as a Tai Chi practitioner? Or what are the three most challenging things that you experience as a Qigong teacher or as a coach? So in other words, you figure out what your tribe is, and then you can post questions like this. So it doesn't even have to take the form of a questionnaire or a survey. It can take form of an informal question. And this is the type of questions that I also ask my guests on my talk show, The Secrets of Qigong Masters. You know, I've been running the talk show for over six years now and uh, interviewed pretty much everybody who's worth being interviewed in America, maybe in North America, uh, in the fields of Qigong and related disciplines. There may be a few more people who I haven't interviewed yet, but they're few and far between. But what's interesting is that I ask this type of questions. Not the same question all the time, of course, but there is some similarity. There is some pattern of my questioning. And some people say that I'm a very good interviewer because I am adaptable to the way that people answer my questions. If they try to dodge my questions, I'm going to ask it again in a different form. If people are having uh, some really interesting story to share, well, I will ask them to go ahead and share the story and perhaps get engaged in discussing some of their experiences and also offer my perspectives. So some people say, my interviews are not really interviews, they're more like a, a dialogue, which I guess the format of a talk show uh, is perfect for. So it's not just a, a radio uh, interviewing show, it's actually a talk show that goes on for an hour, sometimes even longer. And many of these interviews are done in a, a town hall style. So there is a, a person who I'm interviewing, a guest, and me in front of an audience. Sometimes it's a small audience, just a person with a camera. Sometimes it's quite a number of people. And so what we do is we basically go back and forth. You want to engage in this kind of back and forth dialogue with people on social networks. Why? Because that's what's going to create better connection, build better rapport, and essentially allow you to establish your credibility. People will like you if they see that you care about them. And how do you let them know that you care about them? You answer their questions. You ask them about things that are important to them. And you also engage in the dialogue rather than going into the monologue. So, obviously, I've covered quite a bit of ground discussing what to do with social networking sites. They are not the only one, the only places online 
the virtual places where uh, people of your tribe may be found. And this is definitely going to be a great piece of homework for you. I invite you to locate the places on the Internet and in the physical world where the members of your tribe can be found. Can they be found on Facebook or can they be found on LinkedIn or can they be found on Google Plus or other social networking sites? Do they uh, have uh, an online forum that is active and popular? Are there any popular blogs in the, in the field? Are there any e-zines that's, uh, or perhaps printed magazines? I didn't even uh, talk much about printed magazines because the genre of printed magazines seems to be uh, disappearing pretty quickly. I mean, they're still around, but in uh, smaller niches, it's becoming harder and harder to create a printed magazine and easier and easier to create a digital one. So I suspect that over the next three to five years, you will not see any or hardly any printed magazines in small niches, and you will see a lot more easings. And these easings will become not only in the form of a blog, but also, for example, the way that I published my easing was in the form of a, a so-called flip book. So you could actually flip the pages of it, especially if you read the magazine on the iPad or a similar tablet device. It was perfectly designed for being viewed on a tablet or even on a, a large screen smartphone. And of course, on a computer. The larger the real estate of the screen, the better. What's also interesting about it is that you could click on articles. You could also watch some videos that were embedded into my easing. So it was a multimedia publication, which is virtually impossible if it is a printed one. So that's another good reason why printed media is probably going to disappear sometime soon. It's definitely losing its uh, impact, its influence on the readership. And last but not the least, you may also con consider creating your own blog or creating your own e-zine or like you know uh, I've been talking about my talk show. You may even create your own talk show. I had a choice to make whether to create a talk show or simply to go with teleseminars that I would do on a more or less regular basis. Honestly, I tried both. I tried teleseminars and I did teleseminars for many years before I started my talk show. And teleseminars did attract some listenership, but never as large as the talk show. Literally, some months I would have 10,000 listeners downloading the episodes of my show. 
I never had 10,000 participants in any of my teleseminars. I never had even 1,000 participants. Maximum probably 100 or 200 people in a teleseminar. But that also had to do, of course, with the limitations of existing technology. Nowadays, you can offer teleseminars that have unlimited number of participants. As a matter of fact, right now, I am presenting this teleseminar on the platform called TalkShoe. This is the platform that I use for my teleseminars nowadays, and it's free of charge, and you can have an unlimited number of listeners, which is pretty freaking awesome, doesn't it? (laughs) People used to pay a substantial amount of money for hosting teleseminars on various platforms. And then eventually platforms like Free Teleseminar and Free Teleconference got developed, but they still had limitations as to the number of people who could participate. So there was definitely uh, the sense that if you have too many people, well, you can't have them. (laughs) And nowadays you can have an unlimited number of people listening to your teleseminars, which is very cool. And also the teleseminars can get recorded, so you can make them available as audio recordings downloaded on your website, or you can simply provide links where people can download them directly from TalkShoe.com. As a matter of fact, you know that you can click on a link and go to TalkShoe.com and download our recorded teleseminar. So you kind of have an idea about how it works. And teleseminars are extremely easy to present because you are not even in front of a a webcam. Like you can be wearing pajamas or whatever. You can be on the beach uh, still delivering a teleseminar. Honestly, I've done some teleseminars on the beach. I've done them uh, on the road from the park bench. I've done them walking through the jungle when I lived in Guam. So I've done them all. And then pajamas too. So this is something that you can do if you simply develop a clear idea about the topic of your teleseminars and what is it that you would offer at the end. Because most of the time when you offer a free teleseminar, you want to give the listeners some call to action especially if they didn't have to register for the teleseminar, which in our next teleseminar we will talk about how to set up registration because I really discourage you from doing teleseminars that do not require registration. I always prefer and highly recommend to set up a registration page because first it will build greater sense of perceived value Secondly, you will know who the listeners are going to be. Thirdly, by registering, the person makes a micro-commitment. So they're not just going to see an announcement about teleseminar and think, oh, yeah, that's cool. Maybe I will attend this one on Tuesday. Instead, 
they will be asked to leave their name and email address. Potentially, uh, you may also have an autoresponder message that would be sent to them saying, hey, thank you for registering for my teleseminar. And this is uh, a little information about what we're going to cover in the teleseminar. And this is a little preparation material that you may also go through as a piece of homework even before you attend my event. So you can see how there is a little bit of a parallel between the, the teleseminar preparation and preparation for the complimentary coaching session in a way that we want to make sure that people who express interest get their names and email addresses into your database and they also follow through on their commitment and attend the event that they signed up for. And you may even send them a reminder message, for example, of the day of the teleseminar or webinar saying, by the way, in case you forgot or didn't put it in your calendar, well, today is the day. Please join us for this teleseminar or for this webinar at such and such time. Just click this link or dial this phone number and this is the passcode if you need to enter a passcode. So as you can see, holding people by the hands can improve the participation level. Because honestly, it's not fun to do teleseminars and not really know how many people are even in attendance. Like right now, for instance, I'm giving a teleseminar and I don't know how many people are in attendance. I can figure it out if I want to, and that would take me just a moment. But the idea is that uh, you want to know who people are, and most importantly, you want to be able to follow up with them. For example, if you mentioned that you would offer a bonus material, and people for just attending your teleseminar, great. Offer the material. Send it to them by email. How would you do that? Well, obviously, you can only do it if you collected the name and email address of each attendee. Some programs, and I promise that I will also mention those in our next teleseminar, allow you to know even such details like who among the subscribers or who among the registrants actually attended your webinar. Now, as far as I know, it's impossible to do it with a teleseminar, but you can do it with a webinar. And you can tell how many people are attended among those who registered, who those were, and also who watched the entire webinar as opposed to dropped off somewhere in the middle. So you can send them different messages. We will talk about this in our next teleseminar in greater detail as well. So you can see how uh, this eventually gives you a tremendous level of flexibility and power in terms of creating communications that allow you to generate more interest in your work 
and also entice people to start working with you. It's not something that is going to happen naturally. Like people say, if you build it, people will come. Bullshit. They're not going to come because there are so many different options available to them nowadays. They want to know that you built something, even if it is just the most wonderful coaching practice for them. What's going to happen is that you will be waiting and waiting and waiting for people to come and, and receive your coaching and nobody is showing up. And this is the most discouraging thing for a, a novel coach or even advanced or uh, experienced coach. What uh, would be the solution to this kind of situation? Well, obviously you need to initiate the interest among the members of your tribe. So today we've covered uh, the variety of places where you can find members of your tribe who could potentially be your ideal clients. We also discussed the ways to find out what problems they have, ask them the questions that would reveal these problems, as well as create surveys. We'll talk more about that in detail in our next teleseminar. If you have any questions about anything we've covered today, I saved a couple of minutes, so feel free to raise your hand or, or just unmute yourself and ask any questions you may want the answers for. If you don't have any questions tonight, that's great. You know how to get a hold of me. So feel free to email me any further questions that you may get after you listen to this teleseminar. And I will look forward to seeing you during your upcoming individual coaching sessions. Until then, have a wonderful time.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.